Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you'd like. Thank you for your connection and to the presence of the spirit of praise and worship tonight. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to just join me in Acts 27, and uh, we'll just get you to turn there tonight, today. And uh, this past Sunday, Brother Larry Newburn preached in our second service, and he mentioned this age-old story of Acts 27, and um, a couple things from that just lodged in my spirit. And earlier today, I just felt like the Lord laid something on my heart to share this evening. And so I will be focusing on Acts 27, verses 21, and um, down through verses 44, skipping around. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, we'll just spend some time here this evening. One, one writer, while speaking of Paul in this passage, seems to summarize the scenario pretty well. He said, Paul began as a prisoner, but he ended as a captain. And uh, that's certainly true if you consider the 27th chapter of Acts in this particular passage. Paul is commissioned of God. He is going to Rome. That's what the Lord spoke to him. We'll talk about that. And there was a great storm and um, a great trial. And this evening, I want to I just speak to you from this subject that the storm can't change the destination. I mean, there may be a storm, and this is an age-old story, but the storm really can't change the destination when we put our complete trust in the Lord. Amen. So um, Paul was that take-charge voice in this particular passage, and uh, when it was obvious that no one else knew what to do, the Apostle Paul just stepped center stage, bearing in mind that he is still just a prisoner. And uh, he's not the captain. He's not in charge. He is probably the lowest of all of those that are there. But in truth, a crisis does not make a person. But a crisis shows what a person is made of. That's where we walk through the fire, through the flood. Those things don't make us. But they reveal what is in us. I believe that a, a crisis tends to bring out, uh, to those who have these qualities, it tends to bring out true leadership. It, it tends to bring out, um, you know, some things in your heart that just rise to the surface. There's a few people um, that are not a go-to person in a crisis. <laughs> and, uh, and, and everybody's not a leader, so that's not criticism. But a crisis... Uh, kind of just reveals what, what we're made of. And so Paul was, when the storm began to rage, Paul had, had admonished them, we shouldn't even leave. Uh, we shouldn't even set sail because there's a storm. 
they obviously felt that it was safer to be in the sea than it would be to let the storm beat them to death there. And uh, Paul was gentle with his words, but I believe he was intentional with his message, understanding again that he was a prisoner and his opinion didn't really matter to anything or anyone there. But he reminded the centurion, he reminded the pilot, and he reminded the captain of his warning before they even set sail. And they were soon about to discover the absolute truth of, of what God had revealed to the Apostle Paul. It was a sobering truth, but I think it is glaringly obvious as we look at Scripture. The Bible says that those that were spared were only spared because of the Apostle Paul. That's what the Bible says. In Acts 27, 24, the Bible says, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. You've got to go to Rome. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And so this is not about them. They're indebted to you. They think you're indebted to them, but in truth, they're, in, they're indebted to you. He was just a prisoner in their eyes, but God, in, in truth, had Paul on a mission. And that, that mission is what I want to really kind of center around our thoughts here this evening. And so as the scene of this passage begins to kind of unfold for us again, we can see how the Lord used the Apostle Paul in multiple ways. In verses 22 through 26, we see that God uh, used Paul to share his word. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about uh, emulating what I'm doing here tonight, teaching from the word of the Lord, but in the most literal sense, God used the Apostle Paul and the voice of the Apostle Paul as a messenger of the Lord to deliver the word that God would share with him. The messenger of the Lord had visited Paul, told him that the ship and the cargo of the ship would be lost, but all the passengers would be spared. That's what the, the angel of the Lord told him, that the messenger of the Lord, that he, they would be spared and they would be cast on an island. The Lord gave him the right word at the right time. In turn, Paul, he didn't try to fluff up that word. He didn't try to polish it up spin the word he just shared with them what the angel of the Lord had shared with him and I believe that God was conditioning Paul prior to this he was conditioning him for this journey we can read in Acts 18 for instance in verses 9 and 10 the Bible speaks about the Lord coming to the apostle Paul and he said be not afraid but speak and hold not thy peace and so I'm just it was about another situation, another story, but I believe God had the Apostle Paul on the potter's wheel. He was molding him and shaping him for the situation that would, be, that would confront him in the days to come. Maybe these words served to prepare him. In verses 10, the Lord said, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Again, it was a different situation, a different scenario, but the Lord was preparing Paul. I believe that everything we walk through in life, not necessarily is, is the uh, plan of God because some things can just happen in, in, the, in our lives. Some things can just happen, but Romans said that the Lord can take those things and work them to our good or for, our, for the good. And so I'm thankful that the Lord has that in mind, that he can take what we encounter in life and he can work that. Acts 23 and 11, the, the Lord said, Be of good cheer, Paul, 
For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou must bear witness of me also in Rome. And so you're going to Rome. I know right now you're in a storm, in a mess, but you're going, the message is you have to appear before Caesar. Another message is you are going to Rome. And so when we read about these heavenly visitations, and that's certainly what this was for Paul, we read about men and women in scripture that have visions or dreams. I, I believe that that really happened. I believe that is factual. You can take that to the bank. I, I know myself. I don't think that those instances are just locked up in scripture and it was just for they and them of that hour. But I believe that God still speaks to humanity today through dreams and visions. God has spoken to me through dreams and visions. Amen. The Lord has spoken to me in the past. I have confidence that he's going to speak to me in the future. Amen. It's not an everyday occurrence. I don't sit down on the front porch and have coffee with Jesus every morning. But the Lord does move in that fashion. And if you're here this evening or if you're joining us online in our service, then I will tell you, if you've never had that experience, I don't think that, that you should be discouraged about that. Amen. I, I don't know that if everybody would have that experience. I think everybody can. I don't know if everybody would have that experience. But the reason I say that there's no need for you to be discouraged, because if, even if we don't have a heavenly visitation of that nature, we still have the unbending word of God that is given to us. Amen. His word leads us. His word guides us. It encourages us. It strengthens us along the way. Words like Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not. I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God and I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We have that word. And so if an angel doesn't come to me in the night, if he doesn't come to me in a dream, I have a promise that I have a hard copy of a promise that I can go to and I can lay my hand on that promise and say, I thank you for your word. Isaiah 43 and two, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I'm thankful for the word of God. Amen. It's not just the Old Testament, but Romans. Paul said to the church in Rome, in Romans 15 and 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. Amen. I'm thankful that we have instances in the word of God. We have things that we can lay our hope and our confidence in, and that word is true. It was for Paul's sake that he did this, and it was Paul's faith that was honored. I'm, I'm thankful for the testimony that Paul was able to share in a troubled season, in yet another troubled season of his life. I believe that Paul was given many things in the, in the 27th chapter in this one story. Uh, the, I believe that, that Paul first gave, I believe that the Lord first gave Paul the, the ministry of warning. He was a voice of warning before they even set sail. He was a voice of warning. During the two weeks they had been at sea, according to some, the ship had been driven as far away as 500 miles off course. The Bible says that they sounded. Amen. They sounded or they took soundings. 
They did this by, uh, by dropping maybe lead weights or some sort of weights on a string or a rope to find out the depth of the sea. They would sound, and they were so far out at sea. And then they sounded again, and they knew that they were, because it was, the water was getting more and more shallow, they knew that they were getting closer to land. And so they knew they were headed for the rocks, and they were headed toward the shore. And so the Bible says in verse number 30, that some of them dropped four anchors from the stern or from the back of the vessel. And they were doing this. They were dropping the anchors because they were, they were trying to set the course and reset the course of the ship. While some were dropping the anchors, it's interesting to read about what others were doing. The Bible also says in verse 30 that some, while some were lowering anchors out of the back of the boat, that there were some that were trying to lower smaller boats into the water. Amen. Now they were trying to say, you know, we've got to get these anchors and we've got to carry them. We've got to get the weight off the boat or whatever their reasoning may have been. But they were really trying to make it to shore. They were just trying to save their own life. They were going to leave the prisoners and they were going to leave everybody else to their own fate. Now not only would that have been an act of selfishness on their part, but I believe it was also an act of unbelief. They, like us sometimes, said we'll take this situation in our own hands and we'll figure this out. And so they had whatever, some smaller emergency vessel, so to speak, and they are going to make their way to shore. In Acts 27 and 24, Paul told everybody that God is going to take care of us and he's going to keep everybody safe that sails with them. And so for these men to abandon the ship, they were saying, We'll just work this out ourselves and we'll hammer this out on our own. And so God used him in a ministry of warning. I believe that God also used the Apostle Paul to, to be an example, to set an example. I believe that it makes a tremendous difference when you have someone in your life that has a founded relationship with God. They have faith in God. I have so often thanked the Lord for every teacher and every preacher that's crossed my path. Now, I can't name them by name. I, I, there's no way I could keep a list of them, but I'm thankful for all of those that have taught the word of God to me through the years. They taught me and encouraged me, and they challenged me to grow in the Lord. But in addition to every teacher or every instructor, I'm also thankful for the people that led me by example. They weren't behind a lectern. They didn't have a microphone. They didn't have notes in front of them or a Bible in front of them. I did have instructors. I did have teachers reminding me of things like faithfulness to the house of God, our prayer and fasting, the, the, the importance of reading God's word and hiding it in your heart, the value of a consistent life before the Lord. I'm thankful for those faithful saints. They were not instructors by way of the pulpit but they were instructors by way of example. They just simply lived out their Christianity before me on a daily basis. They weren't saying watch this or this is how you do it. They didn't say this is what you do, but because of their faithfulness and their consistent living, their life screamed, this is how you do it. This, this is how you do it. You know what we're doing here tonight? We're teaching another generation. This is what you do. You go to the house of God. Amen. You just connect yourself to the house of God. I believe that the pulpit should always have a reflection that's found in the pew. 
Amen. Let me say that again. I believe that every pulpit should have a reflection that's found in the pew. If there's a message being preached from here, but it's not being emulated or reflected from there, then we've got problems on our hands. Amen. I believe that faith ought to be preached in the pulpit. Faith ought to be found in the pew. There ought to be a reflection of the pulpit in the pew. Amen. In Acts 27 and 29 and 30, we see the differing approaches to the situation at hand. The Bible says that some dropped the anchors and then it went on to say, and they wished for day. They dropped four anchors out of the stern of the boat and they wished for day. For day. Or in other words, they had their eyes fixed on get me out of this season. Just get me out of this mess. In verse 30, we have those that I mentioned a moment ago that are trying to escape. But Paul wasn't wishing for day and Paul wasn't trying to let down a boat and, and slip out while others were busy doing other things. He wasn't uh, paralyzed with fear, but he, Paul was busy getting ready for the task that was at hand. He was showing them this is what you do. In Acts 27 and 31, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the Bible says when he said that, talking about those that were lowering the boats, the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. In other words, his calm demeanor. You need somebody in your life when you're in a storm that can speak to you with authority, yet with, with a calmness, amen, that, that we understand that they can be a voice of reason, a light in the dark time. It gave others the courage to say, you know what? This probably isn't the best idea to try to get in a smaller vessel and get out of here. I'm gonna just listen to the voice of God. Aren't you thankful for people in your life that have been there at the right time to say the right thing that just helped you to stay grounded and it helped you to get your feet back under you? In verses 33 and 34, these two verses seem to set, at least in my opinion, an unusual scene, especially given the circumstances. The Bible says in Acts 27 and 33, and while the day was coming on, Paul besought them to all take meat, saying this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting and have taken nothing. Wherefore I pray to you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not be a hair fall from the head of any of you. That's a pretty strong word. I doubt there's very many in this house that he can even comb your hair without losing the hair. Right. Right. Much less endure a two-week storm. He said, you just stay with us and there won't be a hair of your head. You won't That's a powerful, broad promise, isn't it? Amen. There won't be a hair fall from the head of any of you. And so we can certainly understand in the middle of everything that they're facing. It's not difficult to see why they had not eaten anything in two weeks. They're fasting, they're getting, trying to get, uh, they're trying to get in touch with something, a power that's greater than them to save their lives. But Paul said, but right now, we've gotta have a change of venue. We need a change of what's going on around us. And in the middle of everything that's going on, he said, it's time to eat. It's not time to eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what he was talking about. He said it is time to eat because your body needs strength because we've got a mountain to climb before us. There's an ending to this story. The ending may not be calm, 
but we're gonna get out of here without even a hair of our head left, but we are gonna need strength for the journey. Again, I'm glad for voices in my life that could just say this is what you need to do because it's not that you're trying to party away or not that you're trying to laugh a moment away but he said we need to eat because we need strength in our body in verse 34 the Bible says that Paul took the bread he openly prayed and he gave thanks to his God amen think about that with me they're in a storm they're potentially blown 500 miles off of course and Paul said, we need to eat. But that example, he sat down, began to pray and break that bread and others began to join him. Amen, before long, everybody started feeling the strength, not just of Paul's suggestion, but because Paul was right. Your body needs strength and you gotta eat something. Amen, there are times when one well-grounded voice from a child of God can change the entire atmosphere somebody that can step into the situation and say we need God by trusting him by putting our confidence in him and our hope in his word it brought faith and it made it visible in essence the Lord also used Paul as a messenger of deliverance the Bible says when it was day and the pilot saw where they were they made every effort within their own manpower to get that vessel to shore but it was all just a exercise in futility because this is not how the story is going to end. The ship was grounded and then the waves began to beat against the ship and they began to beat the ship to pieces. This was the things that Brother Newburn was mentioning Sunday. God gave every one of them a personal life raft, gave them a piece of something to get them safely to the shore. The only thing the passengers could do was to make make it to shore on what God had given them to swim with to keep them bullion. Once again, it was the Apostle Paul's presence. It was his voice that kept everybody grounded. It was his voice that kept everybody sure. It was his voice that kept them in the ship. An angel has stood by me this night. I'm thankful for the words of consolation, the words of comfort, the words of guidance, the words of assurance in the middle of storms. As long as, and just as the Lord had promised, all of them made it safely to shore and not one soul was lost. And I believe, well, there wasn't a follow-up report, but I believe not one hair of one head was lost because that was the promise of the Lord. Amen. Before leaving this evening, I want us to look at some practical lessons that we can pull from a story we've read again and again and again. I believe that one thing we can take from this passage of scripture is that storms often come in our lives when we're disobedient to the Lord. There's probably not a greater illustration of this in all of the word of God than in the life of Jonah. When the Lord sent him to Nineveh, tried to send him to Nineveh, he said, I'm just gonna pay I'll go to Tarsus and I'll be willing to pay the fare thereof. Oh, he had no idea the weight of those words. I will pay the fare thereof. He had no idea how much, how high that fare was going to be. He had no idea the price that was really, the price tag that was really associated with just that one statement. And so when we think about those times, I'm not saying that every storm, of course, is a direct result of being out of the will of God because it was not Paul. And this, in our text tonight, it was certainly not Paul. 
It was not him that was at fault for them being in the storm. It was really, it was the fault of the centurion. It was the fault of the man that was calling the shots. It was the fault of the man that ignored the warning and the fault of the man that said, it doesn't matter what he says or how high the winds are right now, I say we're going to leave. And so I say to that, one of the things we can take away is sometimes we suffer because of the unbelief of other people in our life. Amen. We may be associated with someone or something and because of their unbelief, it has an ill or a negative effect on our life. And so we have to just wait out the storms, but the storm, if we put our trust in the hand of God, the storm can't change the destination. I believe that, as I mentioned earlier, that, that storms have a way of revealing character. While others, the Bible says they wished for day, we would probably say they hoped for the best. They cross their fingers and they just hope for the best. I'm thankful tonight that I'm not trying to just live my life hoping for the best. I'm glad I have faith in God and his word. Against the backdrop of all of this, God had a man named Paul that trusted and obeyed his will. Third, I believe that the, that the, the worst storms can't hide the face of God. That no matter how dark the night, no matter how, um, no matter how turbulent the wind or the waves, those things can't hide the face of God from us. The truth, the reality of his word. Apostle, the Apostle Paul received the word of assurance that they needed and, and God overruled so that his servant would arrive safely in Rome. He said, you're going to be before Caesar. You're going to make it to Rome. They made decisions, but even though they made decisions that put them in a storm, it didn't mute the voice of God. It didn't hide the face of God. Finally, I believe that storms give us an opportunity to serve others. It turns out that, the Paul, that Paul, in truth, and I'll ask our musicians to come, but it turns out that Paul was in truth the most valuable passenger on the vessel. He knew how to pray. He had faith in God. He was in touch with the Almighty. Amen. So here was a man that when they went on the vessel, he was the lowest of them all. His chains rattling, shackled. He was despised, no doubt, the lowest person on the totem pole he and any other prisoner would, that would have been a part of that, of that particular journey. And now God says, you know what? I'm going to turn this all around. And you're not just going to be a voice. Somewhere along the line, the shackles were taken off. Somewhere along the line, he was loosed to be able to do a work for God. He became a voice, an instructor. He became courage and confidence. Amen. I'll ask you to stand with me, if you will. On March the 24th, 1820, a young girl was born into the home of John and Mercy Crosby. She was born in a small village named Brewster, New York, which is about 50 miles north of New York City. Her name was Frances Jane Crosby, but she is more commonly known and became more commonly known as Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymnist and in her lifetime she wrote more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. More than 8,000. 
As a matter of fact, to date, over one million copies of the songs that she has written have been printed. And by the end of the 19th century, Fanny Crosby was a household name. She was known as the queen of gospel songwriters. She was also known as the mother of modern congregational singing and most especially in America because most American hymnals contain at least one if not more of her songs. She wrote songs that we would recognize, songs like Blessed Assurance. She was the author of Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, and also the author of Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. But when Fanny Crosby was only six weeks old, she was blinded for life. She caught a common cold, but the inflammation of that cold developed in her eyes and it totally robbed her of her eyesight. In that same year, when she was only six months old, her father died. And as a result of that, her mother had to move back home where her father had died. And so it was just the mother and the grandmother that was raising Fanny Crosby. It said that her grandmother spent an enormous amount of time investing in this young, blind granddaughter. She would describe things in life, the most minuscule things in life. She would describe them with meticulous detail because she wanted somehow her granddaughter to be able to experience the things that she knew she was missing. Early on, Fanny Crosby displayed a remarkable gift for poetry. And when she was only eight years old, she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other peoples don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Eight years old, eight years old. In her golden years of life, she said, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I want to thank him for this dispensation. And if, she said, if perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. Because I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things that were around me. She is also quoted as saying, when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever gladden by sight will be that of my Savior. That will be the first thing that I see. And so, if someone can take physical issues of life and say, I'm not going to let this storm determine my destination. I'm not going to let these things determine the outcome of my life. And so if you remember nothing else from this message tonight, I will just humbly ask you to remember this one thing, and that's the title of my message, The Storm Can't Change the Destination. If we just put our trust in God, amen, taking something very negative in her life. She said, I'm going to use this to the glory of the Lord. And God used her. We have no idea how many people would have, whose lives would be touched by the songs, just the songs that we recognize. Much less other 
demographics, of groups that have songs that have impacted and ministered to their lives. And so we can survive the worst of storms, not because we're superhuman, but because God is God. Amen. And he has the final say. Why don't we just magnify him together tonight? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.